Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. You know, I'll be honest with you. I thought we had a game on Sunday, but I didn't know we were playing the local JV team. What was up with that? Oh, <laughs> that was a brutal game to watch. Just even if you're a neutral fan, you that was hard to sit through. That, that was pretty bad. Bad for one team, but great for Villanova. Oh, obviously. Yes, yes, yes. The, the opposition just made it borderline unwatchable. But it was good to see, you know. Good to see the, the guys who we usually don't see play, play a little bit, get some burn. It, it was good in that sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to them in a little bit. But it was great in that sense in that everyone got to participate. I think on both sides, too. I think both sides got to empty their bench a little bit, get people some burn, distribute the minutes. But, Chris, look, we talked about this game. We talk about how Seen Hall always gets up for playing Villanova. Mm-hmm. And for the first half... Even though it wasn't the prettiest, there were so many turnovers, low scoring. It just wasn't aesthetically pleasing. And then in the second half, it was like, did Seton Hall even show up today? Did anyone eat breakfast? Did, did anyone forget what time the game started? Because Villanova just absolutely demolished the Pirates 80-52. to 52. I relish in every minute of it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Phil Booth and Eric Pascal did a great job once again. Our senior leaders continuing to set the tone. Especially early on when it wasn't the prettiest of halves, they were still in it. They were still carrying Nova. Wildcats snatched the lead and just hardly looked back. Bill Booth with 25 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. He drained 7 threes. He was cash money. Eric Pascal, he also had 17 points, 8 rebounds, was 7 for 12 on the floor, 3 for 6 from deep. Sadiq Bey was also in double digits. He finished with 10 points and 3 boards. And for Seton Hall... You know, we talked about how Miles Powell was great and this and that and how he was the guy to watch for and you shut him down and then no one else will do anything. And then we ripped on another guy, Miles Kale, for being slightly disappointing for not taking the jump that we thought he was going to make. Well, Kale was the only one who was able to get going for the Pirates. He had 14 points, the only one in double digits for Seton Hall. And he was four for six from deep, which is fantastic if we're being honest here. But Miles Powell, where was he? He played 25 minutes, and he only had three points for the whole entire game and had seven turnovers. At one point, Kevin Willard just had enough, and he just grabbed all the starters, pulled them, and then put the reserves in. And I I don't know about you, Chris, but I don't think that strategy has ever worked when trying to teach a lesson or fire up your team. 
well, you could make the argument that that worked for Villanova back in 1985 when Raleigh pulled all his starters against Pitt, and then they ended up winning the national championship a couple weeks later. But that, you know, we're not we're not applying that with Seton Hall. We're not we're not going there with that national championship at Seton Hall. No, obviously we're happy with it. It's finally the blowout win we got, we wanted at least during Big East play. Finally, get some guys that usually don't get a lot of minutes to get some minutes. On top of that, not very aesthetically pleasing, at least in the five minutes. I'm going to be honest with you. You said in the second half, did Seton Hall even show up? I'll argue from the get-go, did Seton Hall even show up? They were brutal. The, the, some of the passes, like I'll credit the Villanova defense. Like I'll, I felt like a good chunk of those turnovers were because of the defense, but a lot of those too were just unforced errors. Just throwing the ball away, miscommunication. Just, just It just didn't really have a flow to it whatsoever, and I think that discourages them early on. And then, obviously, when you're a big boy, Miles Powell isn't able to get going. I think they just kind of fell out of it and were just like, yeah, what's the point of even being here? Which I don't know how that really speaks to. I don't know if that's player morale or uh, coaching. That's just a bad look all around. And this is the second straight game where Villanova has basically removed the opposition's best player and completely negated them from the game and that as a result had been able to win like you said very impressed with the seniors another great performance by phil booth and another great performance by eric pascal booth's just been going off lately i'm loving the play right now sadiq bay got a little bit of a flow going i know some of his points came in garbage time but he looked good gillespie was able to recover from a bad start some more positives i will say quinterly looked Good. I know he turned the ball over three times, and one of them I thought was kind of BSy on that carry, but I thought he looked good. He was able to hit some nice shots. He had that nice little pump fake, uh, drive in a little bit, and a nice two. I thought that was probably my favorite play of the game from him. DCR looking nice, grabbing eight boards. And Jermaine Samuels, I, I don't know if you picked up on this. Uh, I mean, you know, it was pretty apparent, but I don't know if you want to talk about it or not. He looked very hesitant to shoot the ball. I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know if it was part of the game plan, but he just did not have any intent on shooting that ball whatsoever. He took one shot at the end of the game and he got fouled on it and hit three ensuing free throws. But I, I was shocked to not even see him do too much anything on offense because I thought he'd been playing well on that end. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. It's like, come on, dude, just <laughs> just go for it. Everyone's getting theirs today. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard of anything. It just seemed like a weird little couple steps back for Jermaine Samuels. Granted, it wasn't the game where that was like costly or anything, but yeah, I just wanted to see him be more aggressive on that front. Like, go for it. You're up big. It seemed like he had been building confidence all throughout these last few weeks, basically month and a half. And then all of a sudden, it just went back to freshman year Jermaine Samuels, who was a little hesitant, kind of overthought everything, took a little too long, very passive in terms of shooting. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. On the bright side, though, we got to see Brandon Slater. We got yeah, to see some Brandon Slater minutes. I, I was going to say that someone who wasn't afraid to pull the trigger the other day, that it would be him. He had a nice drive to the basket for, uh, I think he ended up dunking it on that one play. Even hacked up a couple of threes. He, he was pretty, pretty fearless, I got to say. Yeah, he even got a shout out from our pro cat, Mikhail Bridges, who called him his mini me on Twitter with that enormous swat at the end it was the last eight or nine seconds left in the game and he just had no mercy and just literally sent that ball back to like the section 200s or something that was such a nice projection we've been clamoring for the minutes too and we've been you know we've been saying how in his limited moments he does some nice things and we got to finally see him get some extended action granted it was only nine minutes but it seemed like so much more in relation to what his minute situation has been over the last two months. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny how we were saying, oh, yeah, he's actually been all right in limited time. And then the past two games, he's actually played some some chunk of game time. So, yeah, pretty happy with his performance. Like, look, you look at the stat line, it's not exactly the prettiest. One of three from the field, oh, two from deep, missed both free throws. But I, I like that he wasn't shy and was able to actually, you know, do things about on the offensive end and actually seemed like he wanted to make the most of his opportunity, which I'm all for. I'd rather see him do that than him just shy away and just be passive about everything. Yeah, and you can certainly see his athleticism too. The man can really certainly move. He's very bouncy. Can't wait to see just him grow and develop because you can tell physically the potential for just being a great solid player is there. Once everything just catches up or, you know, Jay Wright's able to harness his physical tools to make him an even better player. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. That block just had me going. And of course I was also just really hyped up too, because, you know, not only did he get minutes, but we also got to see a Tim Delaney appearance. He got out there for three minutes, scored a point off free throw. I always love it when he gets minutes just because he's just had the unluckiest of breaks when it comes to his basketball career, his college basketball career, two very serious surgeries. He came in in that freshman class alongside Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, with him sitting out his whole entire true freshman season. got You kind of forgot about him, and you weren't sure how exactly he would heal from that hip surgery. And then he comes back, and then next thing you know, he gets hurt again for another long-term injury. And, you know, whenever he gets out on the floor, I, I am truly, truly happy for him. If he was healthy, who knows what could have happened? Who knows what kind of contributor he could have been if he had been healthy this whole entire time? And it's just kind of a shame that you see what Jalen Brunson did, Dante Vincenzo did, and Tim Delaney never really got his. So whenever he's out now, I'm all for it. I'm all for Tim Delaney minutes. We haven't gotten a lot of that this season, but I'm all for it. Yeah, as am I, because we really haven't seen much of the bench mob. So he's probably the closest thing to that role right now. And it's pretty cool to see, you know, the bench get hyped up whenever he does something good. And he was able to hit a free throw on Sunday. And as a result, the bench went nuts and it was a good time. <laughs> and it just added some more positives to a, to a pretty good win. Overall, the Pirates just did not look prepared on Sunday. You look at Villanova, they, yeah, they had their mistakes in the first half, but they were just cash money from beyond the arc, like the entire game. Some people, you know, they just love the dunks. They love the highlight plays. We love that too, but when just, it just seems like no one's going to miss, everyone's going to hit their threes. It's just so pretty to watch. Like, it's beautiful basketball, and they had 17 of them. They were just raining it in. Yeah, we said on the last episode, how many threes would it take to beat Seton Hall? And you were saying that, what was it, like four, north of 14? And I mean, they could have done without a few threes just because of the margin of victory, but they ended up hitting 17 of them on 42. That That's a good chunk. It is pretty to see, and especially when uh, Phil Booth, because I just think he has such a cool shot, it's such a pure shot, that when it goes in, just, I don't know, it seems cooler than most. And yeah, when he's swishing and Pascal's swishing and even Gillespie was hitting a couple uh, towards the end there, it, it, all, it all looks great. It really does. Oh yeah, shoot him up, sleep in the streets. Whenever that's in full effect, it's always a fun time. Just never a fun time for our opponents. They they struggle whenever Villanova's able to rein it in. Mm -hmm. We need to bring on Chris Lane because he's brought up some very interesting research. We wanted to have him on last week, but a couple last-minute circumstances happened. This time around, it was a little short notice. But we need to get him on this show because he needs to have a TED Talk where he talks about Phil Booth, his guy, and he wrote a very compelling article, looked at the stats, dove into the numbers. It's on View Hoops right now. If you haven't seen it already, if you haven't read it, 
please go ahead and do so after the podcast or, you know, even pause the show and read it because it's a very captivating article. You know, all the hype right now for Big East Player of the Year is Marcus Howard. Chamori Ponds, more so in the beginning of the year, but since St. John's has kind of fallen off as of late, it's just been all Marcus Howard. We know he's a shooter, this and that. But Phil Booth, he's making, he's quietly making a case for himself, and he's got the numbers that pretty much rival Howard. So it's, I think it might actually be time for us to start talking Phil Booth, but I don't want to take Chris Lane's thunder at all. So, Chris, if you're listening to the show, we gotta we gotta set this up. We gotta set this up next week. We need to give you some time to talk about that because it, it's gonna be better if it comes out of your mouth. You did the research, you did the stat searching. We gotta hear it from the source itself. Yeah, I'm all for it. I would love to hear it. I'm assuming a lot has to do with the uh, the defensive aspect of Phil Booth as well compared to the other two. You know, it's funny because Shamoy Pons is a pretty solid defender himself, but if you look at Marquette Twitter, because he he pissed off a few Marquette people and they said, Oh, well, Phil Booth is only a better defender because he's taller. It's like, well, that doesn't change anything. What? I mean, you know, if you're, you're a good defender, you're a good defender. If you're short, like boohoo, like that, that's just the frame of work. <laughs> yeah. What, that, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, that's literally what I thought when I saw a, a mob of Marquette Golden Eagle fans swamping his mentions because of, he would they thought that the claim that he brought up was ridiculous that's a new one because he's taller he's better at defending all right that's you're, you're playing the same whatever i don't i don't know that's interesting though speaking of defense <laughs> the defensive effort was so good on sunday that villanova's kempom rating going into sunday was 100 on defense it shot up to 80 by the end of the day <laughs> i just found that to be pretty funny yeah, whatever games you need to pad the stats, I'm all here. I'm all for it. I do think, though, overall, Villanova is definitely improving on that side of the court. I don't think that, you know, this, yeah, this might be an outlier in Seton Hall's overall season stat book. But putting the ugliness that the Pirates did offensively, I honestly do think that Villanova is definitely getting better on that side of the ball. They're also getting better offensively, but as a team, it's totally cleaning up a lot more than it did against, you know, Morgan State, where it felt like <laughs> if Villanova wasn't shooting 60%, we would have had a problem. Yes, yes, exactly. They're getting to the point now where it's like you could have a semi-off night and still scrape away a win. I mean, we kind of saw it against Providence. The team just went absolutely cold and wasn't able to hit any type of shot. And as a result, the team was able to grind it out grind out a win mainly because of the defense so yeah you got that and now you got two opportunities this week one on the road against the paul and at home against georgetown and you might have, you might have to scrape away a, a game or two here especially if you don't start shooting well oh definitely definitely and i think that these two games will actually be very very interesting at least more so than i did definitely more so than i did at the beginning of the year you know with the paul with the way that they're trending upwards I thought that this was going to be a total wash but as we saw at the pavilion they gave nova a game and then Georgetown, they're definitely a lot more improved than they were last year. Offensively, the way that they've executed just kind of really impressed me when I saw them play St. John's on Sunday. But before we even dive into them, we just got to talk about where Nova is right now. They're currently 16-4 and overall, 7-0 and in conference play. Now, if Nova wins their next three games, they will be the first team since... 98-99 UConn to go a perfect 10-0 to start Big East play. That's pretty impressive. That's very impressive, actually, considering how competitive the Big East is this year. Yeah, that's a hell of a stat, and that's also more impressive. I think it's just as impressive because we've seen the Villanova teams of the past couple of years. How have those teams not gone 10-0? 
<laughs> and they're, I mean, talent wise, you would probably argue that they're better than this year. So the fact that this team of all teams might go 10 and out to start the year is pretty, is pretty impressive. Yeah. I had to go back it because, you know, I was just completely flabbergasted when I saw that little stat and the chance that Nova has to go 10 and 0 becoming the first team since in basically 20 years to start Biggie's play with a perfect 10 and 0 record. And so I, I definitely had to look back because I thought the same thing. I was like, whoa, there's no way that you look at the 2018 national championship squad and it's like, how did they not like, what was their start like? Right. And then you look at 2016, what was their start like? And then even when Nova was dominating the first couple of years of this new realignment phase, just like, w- what were they doing? And, you know, Chris, I found out the answer and I was kind of disappointed because I totally scratched those games out of my mind. But you wanted to know why or how or why didn't Nova do this earlier? I got two words for you. Butler Bulldogs. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, last year, that was the first Big East game of the year, right? With the Paul Jorgensen raining down on you. I think it was anyway. And then the year before that, yeah, that was Butler as well. So, or was Marquette the first you lost a couple of years ago? I forget. Was that so- so yeah. last year, Butler was the second Big East game, and they beat Nova. And then yeah. at Josh Hart's senior year, Butler was the third game of Big East play, and they beat Nova. Oh, wow. That was that was much earlier on than I thought. Wow. Yeah, leave it to Butler. <laughs> and then 2016, you wouldn't happen to know off the top of your head, would you? Uh, 2016, Nova went 7-0 and until they lost on what George probably – Yeah, they lost George to Providence George. in overtime – if there wasn't a giant snowstorm, I think that that crowd would have been way more hostile. And I think Nova probably would have won, which is weird to think that I'm blaming this on the crowd and the atmosphere. But I honestly think, because I remember that was probably the one regular season game that was just so hyped up in terms wait, of Biggie's play. Wait, that Providence game was before the Georgetown game? Georgetown right. game was 2015. Yeah, yeah that the one on the... Uh, but that the, wasn't the MLK first loss. It was uh, Seton Hall. At Seton Hall. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. See, every year just seems like one giant just biggie season to me. I just I keep I keep messing it up. But yeah, that, that Providence one was the first one. That was a bad day. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, is just not even that it's like one big blur. It's I'm just like surprised that these losses actually happened the second or third game in Biggie's play. That yeah, that baffles me. Yeah, I don't remember it being that early at all. I mean, I guess when you think about it, because I remember that game, that Providence game was the, the day of the AFC and NFC championship games that year. So, and that's obviously late January. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. So we're not going to have a show on Thursday, but we're not going to leave you hanging. We we're going to preview the next two games. we got to preview at DePaul and then back home against Georgetown on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, sorry. We can't call it that. <laughs> FCC will big, big game Sunday, <laughs> big game Sunday <laughs> or the trademark police come in. <laughs> the best part about being a Villanova fan is that you get a big game every time every time they play it's always a big game so Nova's gonna play DePaul on Wednesday they're going to the Windy City it's gonna be an 8pm tip off a little later than usual Chris this DePaul team we've seen what they can do when the shoes is loose it's it's dangerous Femiola Jabi is looking like a solid transfer in. He's a lot better than I thought he was going to be. And Eli Kane, he's still effective. When he first came, we thought that he would be the leading guy to take over after Billy Garrett graduated. 
But, you know, just the emergence of Max Struess has completely negated that. And even though he's the secondary guy, I think he's done pretty well in his job. I think he's finally accepted it. And overall, his play has been a lot better than in years past. But this is a DePaul team that's very tough, very scrappy. They've won more than they have in recent years. What does Nova need to do differently this time around to not allow a scare like last time at the Pavilion? I'd probably say defend better because that game in the Pavilion, at least early on, just it didn't look that all that great. I mean, Shrews was going off. Eli Kane was having himself a night, at least early on. Olojabi off the bench was having a good game. And then as a result, I, I don't know what happened. They just kind of something clicked on the defensive end. And as a result, Villanova went on this insane run and then were able to take over DePaul. So I think it really lies within the defense. If they're able to defend it just as half as well as they've been in these past couple games, I think they'll be okay. I mean, like you said, DePaul's playing much better this year than years past. We mentioned, I think it was last episode, that they swept Seton Hall already, which is pretty impressive. You know, they beat St. John's at St. John's. They've had a uh, close game against Marquette at Marquette, and they just had a close game this past weekend against Providence. Th- this is not like the Paul of the years past. And on the road, it could get a little tricky. I agree, but I feel that the defense travels. So if the if the defense can play like they have been, I think they'll be okay. Because I think the offense will come, and I don't think the Paul's all that great defensively. So I think Villanova will put up points. It's just a matter of if they could defend and hopefully lock down Struess and Kane and kind of keep up with the theme of negating the the opposing team's best players. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this DePaul team is sneaky athletic. They're definitely not as good defensively. They allow opponents to shoot over 36% from beyond the arc. And as we know, that's Villanova's calling card. And unfortunately, a sub, a bottom 100 three-point defense might not cut it against Nova. As for Villanova, the defense will definitely be a key factor here i'm glad that you brought that up because kane was cooking early and then once he stopped cooking it was the shrew show and then you had femiola Jabi throwing in a few jabs here and there villanova let depaul shoot over 60 percent from inside the arc and a solid 40 percent from deep that is not good defense that is not that's just not that good fortunately villanova has done a much better job as of late you can tell just overall over the last five games that defensively this team is getting better at it Hopefully, the Wildcats don't get off to a slow start like they did last time at the Pavilion. I don't think that they're going to get caught off guard or caught by surprise because they know what this Blue Demon team is all about. And just letting DePaul go get off to a 30-16 to 16 start to begin the game is just unacceptable. This DePaul team has a few good athletes. I think Nova won't get caught by surprise, so I think they should win this one. What do you think? Yeah, I think they'll win. I mean... Yeah, obviously the road game is always or are always tricky, no matter to conference, non con, whatever it is. But I feel that with this one, it might not be as I don't know. I feel like the Paul's home court isn't as significant as some other Big East teams. So I think as a result, I think they'll be they'll be okay. And like I I, agree, I do agree with your point that they won't be caught off guard. I think the fact that they played them already, I think they're accustomed to them now. They they've seen how the Pauls played against other teams. I think they got a lot of film on them. Obviously, it might be a little closer than in years past, but I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I'm feeling Nova wins, I'm going to say, by 8 or 9. And I'm feeling another 25-piece family dinner for Phil Booth. I was going to say double-digit win. You know, I'll go double-digit win. I say 10-plus, and I say I say Gillespie has a good game. <laughs> Just had to pick one name because he, he wasn't that great against DePaul. Last time, I think he comes out with a little chip on his shoulder and hits those uh, catch-and-shoot shots. Yeah, I definitely think he'll have – 
an improved game just because he's starting to find his niche on the offense. And clearly that's the catch and shoot. He can't try to initiate or dribble penetrate against these athletic guys. We saw that he just got torched last time on both ends of the court. I think he'll come back with a bounce back effort. Overall, the way that Villanova is playing and the upward trend that they're on and just the way they continue to get better and better each week, I can totally see double digit. I'm just going to give DePaul some credit here. I'm going to give him some love. I'm going to give him some love. You know, it's their it's their first 10-win season since Dave Lato took over. I'm going to give him credit. I'm going to give him credit. Yeah, I don't yeah, – you got to give credit to the, the perennial bottom feeder, and they're no longer the perennial bottom feeder. It's, uh, it's, it's good to see you in a little bit of a, a mix-up this year. I mean, just look at the standings. Did you take a look at the standings today? It's, it's crazy. It's There's like – It's Villanova, Marquette, and everybody else all the same record. Yeah, and sub-500, but it doesn't yeah. feel like they should be. Right, exactly. You you know that those records really don't personify what those teams are. At least at least some of them, anyway. So, yeah, it, it's this will be fun. This is going to be a fun couple of months. At least more fun than the years past, I'd say. It's certainly very unpredictable this year, and I think that's what's making this overall Big East race fun. I know you just mentioned how there are definitely teams in the standings right now whose record doesn't personify them, and I think. After DePaul, which we both think will be a win for Nova, we're going to have a nice historic rivalry going. We got a nice historic rivalry game on quote-unquote big game Sunday, and that's when the Georgetown Hoyas come to town. Now, this team, I think, out of all the sub-500 Big East teams right now, which is 8 of 10, they are definitely suffering from the our record doesn't truly evaluate who we are disease the most. I know I said Butler was definitely a candidate, but I don't think that there's a team that honestly feels that way more than Georgetown. They're three and four in conference play. They're 13-7 overall. They're coming off a huge win at the Garden against St. John's. But if you look at their four losses, all four of those losses have been decided by six or fewer points. They have been right there. They Some of those games, like, for example, St. John's definitely comes to mind. They were winning going into the last minute or so, and then they just absolutely couldn't close it out. Marquette, I thought that they were on the rougher end of a little officiating, but overall, they've been competitive. This is a team that, you know, maybe an extra shot falls or the ball bounces their way this one time or another. They could have a completely different record. Do not sleep on this Georgetown team. I have, I am now bought in on Mac McClung, by the way. I'm a huge fan of his. I know that's probably dirty to say because he's a, you know, he's a Georgetown Hoya and we have that blood rivalry that goes way back. But this Georgetown team overall offensively, fantastic. They're one of the best out there in the conference right now. They are literally just decimal points behind Creighton for the top spot in terms of points per game. Man, you go see them in person once, and you really bought, bought in hard this year. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen, you know, I've I've watched a bunch of the Big East games overall this year, and it was one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe you, know, you look at the teams that they scored high on, and it's like, oh well, Creighton's not exactly a great defensive team, or like St. John's has their moments, but then I start looking at the offensive ratings and the stats and I'm just like, Oh wow, this is actually a, a legit offense. Let me, let me wait till I can see it in person. And I think the biggest X factor in terms of, you know, what made this offense average higher than they did last season is that they're no longer clunky. It's no longer dish it down low to the front court, Jesse Govan, Marcus Derrickson all day. And then we have all these subpar guards who can't really shoot. Well, they don't really score a ton. They can't really do much. 
you know, hopefully we get a hot game from one of them. So that way Jesse Govan or Marcus Derrickson isn't doing all the work. No, no, no. This year, this Georgetown team is definitely a lot more balanced. You still have Jesse Govan down low, who he is now grown to a full-fledged stretch big. He can really knock down those threes now. He can kill you on the pick and pop. He can just spot up on the three-point line and comfortably take and drill threes in opponents' faces. He can really spread the floor out. He can also bang down low, which has always been one of his greater assets in terms of offense. You obviously have Mac McClung, who everyone knows about his dunk mixtapes coming in and all the hype as a high school recruit. But he's a shooter, and he can also score in a variety of ways. James Akinjo, he's a freshman guard who can also score, dish, drive in there, finish through contact. He's impressed me a lot. And, of course, Joshua LeBlanc. Now, I know St. John's fans aren't too happy with him right now, but he is a low-key, you know, while those other two freshmen get all the limelight and turn some heads, he's one of those grinders, lunch pail. I'm going to pull out the sports cliches. He gets the boards. He's finishes with strong dunks, almost gets you a double-double every night. He's pretty solid. And I think overall, just the way that this team is more balanced will make them a lot more of a threat on offense. You want to turn this into the Hoya Saxa podcast? Because that's what it certainly seems like, man. I, I no, think you're because a their Hoya defense fan is now. atrocious. Their defense, that's, what, that's, where, <laughs> that's where it changes. This is when Nova <laughs> eats. This is when Nova eats. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think you uh, pretty much nailed the – the nail on the head there. That, that's a great description of them. I'll just add some a couple of Ken Pomp stats. 72nd in offense, 133rd in defense, and 17th in tempo. So they do like to push the ball. And as we all know, Villanova doesn't. Let's see what gives there. We'll see uh, who really controls the pace of play. Yeah, defensively, they don't force a lot of turnovers. They're not that great at defending the three-point line. They should be really thankful, though, that St. John's was absolutely ice cold from deep. That wasn't very characteristic of the Red Storm at all on Sunday. But if Nova gets at least double digits, again, I'm going to put it, I'm going to put the mark at 13. I'm feeling 12 or 13 from deep. If Nova can hit their shots, I think they're just going to bury them early and they're just going to ride that wave all throughout because they're going to try to fight fire with fire. And we saw what happened with Creighton. It's all fun and games until they actually had to play defense. And that's when Nova, that is basically where the difference will lie. I think we'll slow them down a little bit while raining it in again from deep. That's that's where Eugene gets off at the hype, the hype <laughs> train for Mac McClung and his friends. That's where you get off the station. All right. Yeah, I, I think Villanova should win this one pretty easily. It's at home. I mean, I know Georgetown could be a tricky team, like you like you just outlined. Govan does uh, concern me a bit, mainly because we just don't have someone of his caliber down low anyway. I mean, obviously Pascal, but I mean, in terms of pure center, I was just at the five. I'm not exactly sure who will use to cover him, whether it be Samuels or don't think DCR is going to see much of action in this one just because of what Govan can do from the perimeter. So we'll see how they cover him. But I do expect Pascal to have a good game. I expect both to have a good game. And their final home game against uh, the blood rival Georgetown Hoyas. So I still think Villanova wins this one, although it could be tricky early on, like you said. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of fast-paced fireworks with this Georgetown team, but overall I think Nova, just with its experience and just the way that they've been playing as of late, they should be good enough to continue their winning streak against the Hoyas. We have to go a little more in-depth with that one just because we've seen DePaul before. We can all fanboy or fangirl when the Struis is loose. But I think Nova should be able to take care of both games. And then hopefully next week we'll be talking about how they can potentially go 10-0 and and be that first team in 20 years to have such a start in conference play for the Big East. But I really do think Nova should win both. 
as do I, and yet again, we get a game on the big game Sunday, <laughs> and it leads uh, a nice little appetizer. Although the Eagles are not in it this year for most of the fan base out there, which sucks. Yeah, I've decided that, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll watch a game or whatever, and I'll enjoy football, but this is definitely, I think, more so this year than over the last five years where I can confidently say I'm in it for the food, the friends, the adult beverages. I'm just looking to, you know, just enjoy it. The game will be on in the background, but I think I'm looking forward to everything else for the first time in a while. It's a very neutral type game, at least for for myself, fan-wise. So, I mean, I don't really care who wins at this point. I'll just sit back and enjoy enjoy the, uh, the extras, I guess. All right, so Nova's got two games this week. First one will be at DePaul on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. It'll be on the CBS Sports Network. So make sure you dish out your channel guide ahead of time so you can find that because I can never find that channel ever. And then on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, Big Game Sunday, Football Sunday, whatever you want to call it, it'll be a 12 p.m. matinee, so you got plenty of time. It'll definitely be a nice appetizer, as Chris said. It'll be the Georgetown Hoyas at the Wells Fargo Center taking on the Wildcats. The game, if you can't make it down there, it'll be on Fox Sports 1, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Definitely going to be able to catch both, watch both. And I'm pretty excited. I think that this will definitely be a good week for Nova. And I think we will once again destroy our rivals. I hope they bring out the 85 throwbacks. That's when you know they mean business. Whenever they bring out the 85 throwbacks, that's when you know it's done. The game's over the second (laughs) they walk out the locker room. Against Seton Hall, I didn't even expect them to. And then they they announced on Twitter they were wearing it. And I was like, yep, Nova by 60. And they, they they almost did that. Now it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer your questions. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod. Ask us anything. Ask you know anything you want us to discuss, and we will talk about it on the show. You can also leave your questions in the comments section on Video Hoops, and we'll talk about it there. Make sure you do it on the State of the Nova Nation thread. But Chris, are you ready? We got a bunch here. Let's do it. First one is from Briz underscore two. What do you think of Nova being ranked 14? Do you think it's a fair or unfair ranking? For those of you who missed the news, they moved up from 18 to 14 per Monday's polls. Marquette is the only other Big East team reflected in the top 25, and they moved up to 10. How do you feel about where Nova is, Chris? Eh, I I think it's pretty fair. I mean, they got a nice little jump this week, like you said, up four spots. But, I mean, the teams ahead of them, I mean, you can make the case for all of them that they're, I guess, technically better. Than Villanova. I mean, Houston, maybe just because of the name and the competition. But yeah, I, I think it's fair. I mean, just, I don't know why, but this year the, the polls just don't seem to be mass- matching up like at all with like all the underlying stats, like specifically Ken Palm. Like Ken Palm has like Wisconsin near its top 10. I think they might be 11th right now, but they're 24th right now. They weren't even ranked as of last week. Like, so I, I don't even know what's going on this year. And, like, Marquette's 10th, but, like, Ken Palm hates him. So I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, just overall. Yeah, Ken Palm, like all of us watching college basketball at home, combine that with the rankings. It's just been a wild season. It just really feels like it's been fluctuating more so. I mean, I feel like, I guess you could say every year feels like this, but <laughs> I've got to bring it up again. It feels like the polls just fluctuate so much. They just change so much. And it seems like when you can ride high on one team, they just get shot in the foot the next week, and then they're back down, and then a new team rises. So it's just, and of course, I mean, everyone's going to talk about Duke, but other than them, everything else is really changing. The whole landscape is changing. I mean, Tennessee's number one. 
So, who you know, I would never guess that to happen coming right. into this year. Right. So, do you think it's a fair ranking, Nova fourteen? Yeah, I definitely think it's fair. I mean, I don't know anything about Houston. I I personally haven't seen a game. I've seen looking at the top. I guess now the top twelve, putting number thirteen Houston aside, I've definitely seen at least all those teams play at least once or twice. I'd say it's pretty fair. I'm gonna say it, and I'm probably you know I can someone can tell me to eat my words later when they finally play each other. But like I said last year strongly, and I was right. I am not bought in on this Marquette team. Take them out of the Pfizer form, let them play a real team on the road, and then come talk to me. I said this about Xavier last year, how I was completely unimpressed. And when Nova destroyed them both times, I was like, I knew it. And then when they lost in the round of 32, the NCAA tournament, I was like, yes, 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 yes. Everyone needed to get off that bandwagon. I like Marquette. I like Marcus Howard, but I am not on that bandwagon. I do not think they're a top 10 team. Maybe they can beat Nova or give us a game or change my mind at some point. But all their wins or a large majority, a large majority of their wins have been at home in the comfort of their home arena. When you take them out, they get lost. They don't know what they're doing as well as much. And they've just honestly, all their losses that have been away or at a neutral site have been ugly. I think when you just take them out of the comfort of their home arena, they're not that good. And I said the same thing about Xavier last year. I think they're going to get exposed and I hope Nova does it. I think you're right. <laughs> and I like Marquette too. Like I just like the team. Like I like Howard a lot. The Hauser brothers are cool. I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. They're, they're so, they're like another, they play on another level when they're at home. That is for sure. The, the, the fact that their away losses are like pretty ugly, especially that St. John's one where they just got utterly beat down and at Indiana just got beat down. It's just, yeah, it's, it's not a good look. We'll, we'll put that on hold, but I think it's a good hypothesis right now. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the first meeting between Nova and Marquette is going to be at Marquette. So we're going to have to wait until late February for that to finally happen. But I hope Nova be- I hope Nova beats their undefeated streak at home, and I hope that they expose them when they come to the Wells Fargo Center or the Pavilion. I think it's – I don't forgot where it is. I think it I- might actually be at the Pavilion this year. But, yeah, you can you can record this one. Just like Xavier last year, how I was unimpressed. I am unimpressed. Well, I shouldn't say I'm unimpressed, but I just don't think that Marquette is as highly ranked as they actually are in real life. This next one is from Frank. Tepidino. Slater was awarded some minutes on Sunday and looked great. He appeared athletic and fundamentally sound. Why does he not get more time? If I were to guess, I think it might be his shooting. I, I didn't think he was that great on the offensive end in terms of three-point shooting. Yeah, I was, I was going to say the same thing. I think we kind of hinted at it when we were talking about him earlier in the season. I'll, I'll recap. Like his stat line just wasn't that pretty. Like I was happy that he was aggressive on the offensive end, but yeah, it doesn't look like he has the ability to knock down shots right now. I mean, he, he obviously could down the road and that's the whole part of going to college and developing. But as of right now, I don't think he fits the the offense, to, which is, you know, shoot him up, sleep in the streets. I definitely did love what I, I saw from him, you know, outside of the two misses from long range that he had on Sunday. I think I said before earlier in the year that I liked him better than Swider. I know Swider's hand is broken right now, but I would love for another, you know, once Swider is healthy to have him get another go just so I can compare the two. But yeah, you know, I, I do like Slater a lot. I think that you can definitely see the potential there. Just the three point shooting hasn't been hot. And I think that's probably why he's on the bench. Next set of questions is from Jerry Quinn. 
First one, did Seton Hall just have a bad game on Sunday, and will they recover? Chris, you love to break down the team that's right in your backyard. Is this the start of another dumpster fire, or uh, was it just <laughs> one bad game? I don't know. It, it was a pretty bad game. I wouldn't say it's just one bad game. I, I think they're they're not as they're obviously not as bad as what they played on Sunday, but I don't think they're as good as the team that beat Kentucky and at Maryland. I think they list they rest somewhere in the middle there, basically right on the bubble of of tournament teams. I'm not exactly sure if they'll end up making it or not. I think they'll recover. I, I think that because they, they got some winnable games coming up on the schedule. Yeah, right now Seton Hall has lost four straight, five of their last six. It's a great point that you bring up there. Six of their nine Big East games so far have been on the road, so they can definitely take comfort in knowing that the tough part is over and the second half of conference play, most of their games will be at home. So it should be a lot better result going the rest of the way. But, yeah, that was just, man, uh, that, that Sunday was rough. That Sunday was rough for them. Yeah, they just look completely disinterested, and I think that's probably the worst part. Like if Like if they were like at least trying – and you know you, you make a few bad passes here and there you could just chalk it up to, to like you know like you said a bad game but like this was just this was just discombobulation and just un- disinterested and not emotionally connected at all i didn't i didn't really get it second question why are starters still playing so late in the second half what is the criteria for pulling the starters when the game has been won well when you look at the starters the first thing you got to look at is the amount of minutes that Phil Booth and Eric Pascal played, which when you look at it, they didn't play 38, 39 minutes, which is good improvement, but they played 33 minutes and they played 30 minutes. Booth with 33 and Pascal with 30. Chris, I, I don't know about you, but I think that this is just something that Jay Wright's done. Like it, you know, I even felt that last year and like the year before that and the year before that, I guess, <laughs> honestly, the last five years, you know, they're they're beating down a team and you still had like Ryan Archie Diakono out there, or like you still had Jalen Brunson out there and like four minutes ago. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, no, if there was one thing that I kind of held against Jay Wright, it's the fact that he does leave his starters in way too long, especially in a blowout. And I don't know why he does that. I I'm I'm sure there's a reason for it. He's the coach of a two he's a, two-time national champion coach. Like I, there's some reason behind it. I just don't get it <laughs> as a fan. I just, from the outside looking in and like, dude, you're up 30, just pull, pull him, like get him out of there. And he, and he has been doing this for, for years, at least since we got to college, I, it became apparent I don't, when I was watching the, the Reynolds teams and the Lowry and Foy teams, I didn't, I wasn't privy to it, but since we got to college, it's been, it's been pretty apparent and I'm not exactly sure why wish we knew, but I'm all for more bench mom. I'm all for more Tim Delaney, especially in a 30-point blowout. But, yeah, I don't know what the criteria is or whatever it may be. I'm just afraid one day someone's going to be in there one minute too long, and the next thing you know, they're hurt. And God forbid that happens. I really hope that doesn't it doesn't come to that where it'll maybe wake them up a bit. But as of right now, it, it's it's fine. But I wish uh, I wish that the starters do get pulled a little bit earlier. In situations like that, on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if you remember when the New York Post, some columnist, not Zach Braziller, but some other guy, basically called Jay out for keeping his starters in too long. And it was like, okay, all right. 
And then he took the wrong, you know, it was like, oh, you were doing great for like the first three sentences. And then he took a wrong turn and then basically said how he was taking away from quote unquote, the real people boosting GPAs as in the bench mob. And I was like, oh, buddy, <laughs> buddy, this is like, I, if you look at just the team GPA and just Villanova's graduation rate, it's like top five or top 10 in the country. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Ivy League people might have something to say about that. But he was calling Jay out for the wrong reasons. I mean, yes, I think he leaves the starters out too much. And no, I don't think it's taking away from, like, the quote-unquote GPA boosters because I don't think Villanova has that problem. It seems like across the board, everyone has a pretty good GPA. I mean, we had Jalen Brunson graduated three years. I mean, you got to be pretty intelligent to do that. So, yeah, um, that guy, I forgot who it was. I don't even want to give him a I don't even want to shout him out. He doesn't need his name. No one needs to know his identity. But, yeah, I, I do think Jay sometimes leaves the starters out too much or at least a little longer than desired. I don't think it'll ever change. I've always wondered this, especially during those national championship runs where they were just demolishing teams left and right. Sometimes you just saw the starters out a little too longer than you would like or usual. Sometimes you didn't see the bench mob until, like, the last 10 seconds, which at that point, why put them out for 10 seconds? But yeah, Jerry, I don't think it'll change. I don't know what the criteria is. I actually, I, I know the criteria for being pulled is definitely being an underclassman. I think if you're not a senior starter, you will definitely get pulled a lot sooner than the other older guys. But yeah, overall, I just don't know what Jay's mentality is for that. And I guess this is kind of on the same vein, but his last question is, has Jay ever pulled the entire starting lineup at VU? I guess in the same sense that Kevin Willard did. And as you mentioned earlier, going back in the history books with Raleigh Massimino and that 85 squad. I don't know if he has. I mean, I, I, I mean, like he has in late game situations, but I don't think in the same right. situation where like Kevin Willard or like Raleigh did to make a point. Yeah, where the team's just been awful. I don't know. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't I can't think of a situation like. Yeah, I know he's, he's definitely pulled people like, you know, two or three at a time. But I don't know about an entire starting five. I don't know. I don't think that's happening. Yeah. Uh, can we get Brendan Riley, uh, Statman specialist over at View Hoops on that? Historian, archivist. I would love to know. But yeah, he's definitely pulled him out for like blowouts and stuff. But I don't know about, you know, we're down by 15 or we're down by 10. You're turning the ball over 20 times. It's time for the bench to go in. Last question is from Seattle Mike J, a.k.a. the Mike Town. When will Eugene just get rid of his car and hire a driver? This is an excellent question. Uh, for those of you who don't know, so in November, I guess my transmission died like three separate occasions all in the month of November. Now, when I got home on Sunday, you know, I was all happy because Nova beats Eaton Hall. And then I walk up to my car parked on the street and someone absolutely demolished like the driver's side bumper, like the front bumper. Is that what you call it? Front bumper? Yeah, I, I would say front bumper. Yeah, that, that corner got absolutely demolished. I'm still, you know, perplexed as to how that happened. I mean, I don't think that's something you could do parallel parking. But uh, yeah, it's just been a horrible string of unfortunate events. I told a few people, I think I just need to move to the city where I don't have to worry about ever driving ever again. I, I think that's the dream. That's the dream now at this point. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to get rid of your car. Just just for new motion. Get it, you can get like a freaking hoopty at this point. Dude, I think it'll go better than this car. 
I need to get Father Rob or Father Peter to just bless my car and just give it divine luck. I know my one friend, he he actually got into like he, you know, his first car, horrible string of accidents. And then he got a new car, went to church, <laughs> not really religious man, got a bottle of holy water, got the priest to bless his car, put the holy water in his glove compartment, hasn't gotten to an accident since. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe that's where I need to go. You got to try something. Oh, yeah. RIP. RIP. But, yeah, the car's in the shop right now. Hopefully, it won't get destroyed. Pockets. Hopefully, it won't get destroyed money-wise, but we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Podomatic. You have so many, many options. Please rate us five star, five star, five star, five star, five star. It helps us get the show out more. We're starting to get a few shout outs from some international listeners. So shout out to you guys listening from across the pond or the other side of the world or wherever you may be. We really appreciate you guys listening. And of course, to the people in state, West Coast, East Coast, all the nationers within our borders. Thank you so much for your continued support. But we really want to expand. We want to get the show out there to the nationers all around the world, people who might not know that we exist. And by giving us five stars, it really helps us accomplish that mission and helps the show grow. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. And please tell a friend, tell a friend. Also, check back at for you hoops. Like we said before, read Chris Lane's piece if you haven't already. Otherwise, we are going to be pumping out content left and right every day, 24-7, 365. Nova Nation never sleeps. Villanova basketball never stops. And neither does VU Hoops. So we are just continuing to roll there. And you can follow VU Hoops on social media at VU Hoops. And that's good for Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And I got nothing to plug anymore because I'm off social media, at least for the next couple months. Try it out. You can reach Chris by Carrier Pigeon. Just throw the pigeon with your letter and just say, for Chris. And hopefully it'll make its way there. <laughs> Nova Nation, no episode on Thursday, so have a good weekend. Apologies, we'll be back on Tuesday. We're definitely going to have some fresh content then. Hopefully, we're going to have some good news to talk about. And then we'll be talking about how Nova's going to hopefully go for win number 10 in conference play. But we'll check back with you, and we will talk soon, and we will be back on Tuesday. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.